today on CityCast Chicago. It's Friday, which means we're recapping the always busy news week in our bustling city. Governor Pritzker released his state budget, which is looking good for educators and students from young to older. Should they stay or should they go now continues for the Bears as they finalize the land deal in the burbs. And as always, we're taking you into the weekend with some good news. It's Friday, February 17th. I'm Carrie Shepard in for Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. This Friday, we have our friend Nader Issa, education reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, and our very own Simone Alisea. Happy Friday, you two. Happy Friday. It's a nice Friday, isn't it? The snow, the rain, <laughs> after some 50-degree days. Uh, totally. It was a little bit... All right, let's bring, let's bring the positivity up a little bit from that. <laughs> it is a terrible Friday, but it's going to get better. Spring is somewhere, somewhere, somewhere on the horizon. Okay, but before Over the we, rainbow. Over the rainbow somewhere. Okay, before we dig into all the news that's been happening, including some of the great stories that, Nader, you've been reporting at the Sun-Times, um, it's Valentine's week, so we're going to stay on the love train a little bit, and I want us all to share our love letter to Chicago, to our great city. It can be a spot, a thing you do, a mere moment in the city that reminded you how awesome it is. Anything you want, a love letter to our city. Nader, do you want to start? You got one? This past week, if, if this wasn't a reminder of of how fun the city can be when it's not uh, windy and, and smacking you in the face and zero, zero degrees outside, <laughs> I think, I think... Uh, yeah, you just remember how, how great the city is, how fun it is. Um, I, it has its flaws like any place, but I think that's what makes us love it more is it's not perfect, but it's great and it's ours. Did you do some things particular that reminded you of that? Did you have any sort of cathartic moment or anything? So I thought about playing basketball outside. I, nice. I didn't I didn't go through with it, but I had the <laughs> thought. So that put me in a good mood. I also drove with the windows down, listening to music. That's always yes. a good, like, that's the start of spring. I'm feeling good. I always love that first day of driving with the windows down and uh, not feeling like you're in a frigid, I don't know, <laughs> cold zone. Love it. Okay, we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, Simone, how about you? What's your love letter to Chicago? You know, I, I was thinking about this, and I, I, I want to, like, paint a scene for you here. Please do. I want you to imagine it's early August. It is humid, it's warm, and you're off work and the sun is is quite a ways on its way down. Like it's probably already dark by the lake. But as you step off the train onto one of our many east-west thoroughfares, whichever one, pick your <laughs> pick your poison, you are following the the sun as it goes down and you're on your way to meet your friends for a show. Maybe your friends in the show, maybe you're just going to see something. And you're walking and you see the theater marquee and it's warm and the sun is going down and you're done with work and you're ready to just have a great night with the people you love. That to me is like the quintessential Chicago experience. And Simone. like that, when I think about that, it makes it just brings me so much joy and makes me love living here. Wow. 
Love that. Let's send that to Choose Chicago. They should use that. The tourism board should use that. That was incredible. And it's theater week. So it I is feel theater like week. That's, that's true. even better. It's Chicago Theater Week. So you I love that. Simone, that is so beautiful. I love the I love also living west. I love driving into the sunset or, you know, being on the bus in the sunset. Okay. I'm glad I, I went first, by the way, because I my love letter was <laughs> the weather was good. And if I if I had done that after after Simone's soliloquy, I would have had your listeners throwing tomatoes at their phones. So I'm, I'm glad I went first. Mater, come on. The weather, that's a, that's, a, that's a shared love. Come on, when the weather's nice and we earn it. No, yours was lovely as well. Mine isn't as great as Simone's either. I just, um, Simone and I actually, this week, we went to the tribe's ballot party. So we were right by the United Center on the near west side and... I was at the United Center with Jacoby last week. We followed Benny the Bull doing a little plug for that episode. So that was super cool. And I was telling Simone, I drive past the uh, United Center every Saturday morning on the way to the gym. And it's like, wow, look at this amazing. How cool. You know, this is like where the legendary Bulls played. Blackhawks have won the Stanley Cup several times. Like, this beautiful, amazing stadium, and I'm just like, I get to just drive by, and it reminds me how much I live in a city, you know? Like, I really live in a big city, and that it's a city, you know, I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but we have a major stadium in the city, not on mm. the outskirts, and I feel like that's Foreshadowing. pretty cool. Foreshadowing. So, um, yeah, I thought I, that was my, that's my love letter to Chicago. Also to say, go listen to the Benny the Bull episode. <laughs> Simone, what is the top story that has that you've been thinking a lot about this week? Yeah, I it's interesting. I didn't think I was going to want to talk about this, but I let's talk about the the deal that the Bears have signed to close on a property in Arlington Heights, the old Arlington Heights racetrack. That is a $197 million deal. We've been talking about this for a long time. It's been a long time coming. And I didn't think I was going to want to talk about it because we've been, you know, like I said, it's we kind of knew it was going to happen. But kind of anticlimactic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the bear, you know, this has been in the works for a while. But I was reading about it and I didn't quite realize a, what hurdles they still have to go through to actually build a new stadium in Arlington Heights, and B, sort of what this means for for Soldier Field and how how city officials are are trying to conceive of it. So remind us what are the what are the hurdles, Simone? First, yeah, well, the big thing is is the Bears want public help building a new stadium. Right now, there is legislation in Springfield to create um, tax breaks for big mega projects like this Bears development would be. And they really want that passed. They've hired a lobbyist. And it sounds like it's going to be maybe a bit of a tough go because, of course, Chicago lawmakers don't really want the Bears to leave. Downstate lawmakers are like, well, what are we getting out of this? Like, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's totally a dung deal in Springfield yet. Let us not forget, though, probably some of the suburban lawmakers are like, yes, fine, maybe they should move out of the city. What do we care? Yes, yes. An Arlington Heights lawmaker, Democrat, is is sponsoring that legislation. So, you know. Right. OK. Makes sense. Certainly a contingent who's who's going to want it. But that said, local sort of sentiment in Arlington Heights is, uh, you know, 
people don't really want new taxes. Um, they don't really want to pay for for a new stadium. Sure, sure. You know, the city officials have sort of had like a non-binding agreement that basically says, yes, we welcome you, but, you know, still not clear yet what Arlington Heights residents will have to pay for this. And the Bears are also just have to contend with the fact that if they leave Soldier Field before 2033, they're going to have to pay. Um, the figure I saw in the Tribune was, you know, that if they leave in 2026, for example, they would have to pay the city $84 million for, for breaking that contract. Which is probably a little, not a huge hit for them, especially that I was a bit surprised that they pay the Park District for Soldier Field is like a little more than $6 million a year, which, yeah. I mean, for a major stadium, doesn't, doesn't totally seem like a ton. But yeah, I mean, they would take a financial hit. How much of a hit would that be? I don't know. I don't have their balance sheet in front of me, obviously. Simone, it's interesting. You said I didn't think I'd want to talk about this, but I do want to talk about it. Yeah. I feel the same way about it. Like, I'm kind of like... Enough already on this. Enough already. But something that the Chicago Tribune reported is like, this comes like two weeks before the February 28th election. What is this going to mean for incumbent Mayor Lori Lightfoot? Nader, I know, I think, I know you're a Bears fan, right? So Big time. Big time Bears fan. I thought you were maybe a big time Bears fan. What are your thoughts on this latest development in this news? (laughs) Nice. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think I think like the cost to close was one hundred ninety seven million dollars. And I back to your point, Carrie, about this sort of not being a crazy amount of money for the bears. The fact that they closed, obviously, besides the hurdles, doesn't mean that they actually go through with it because right. it's one hundred ninety seven million. It sounds like a lot for us. For the bears, it's not it's not that much. They still they'll own the land. They can. They can sell off pieces to, to developers. They can do whatever they want with the land out there if they don't go through with it. it. It's not it's not an amount of money that binds them to the land to build a stadium there. So that's that's one thought. I also just as a Bears fan, it, it would be, I think, a little sad to see games so far off the lakefront and not in the city. Yeah. There's just something yeah. nostalgic, something beautiful about seeing a busy lakefront, a busy um, event right there. And and yeah, it'd be sad to see it go. Would you go to Arlington Heights to see your beloved bears? Yeah, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> I don't think I could say no. But I, we also know what's going to happen with the new stadium. They're going to sell all, all these great amenities that they're offering and ticket prices sure. double. And so... I don't know who who actually ends up being able to go to the games is another story, but right and paying to get out there and everything totally. Yeah, it's um. I mean, let's let's be honest. Let's look at like what's happened at Wrigley Field in like the last five years, the development around there. That's kind of how I picture an Arlington Heights Bears stadium versus like you said, you made the great point of Soldier Field. You get you're on the lakefront. You can take the you can take the train there. You can take a bus there. Like, totally okay. So Bears, will they stay? Will they go now? I just want to add one more thing because you mentioned the election. You know, Lightfoot for her part says she still says that Soldier Field can meet the Bears' needs, and you mm-hmm. know she. Yeah introduced a plan in the summer to, you know, maybe get it dome ready, get a dome on that um, and make some other improvements. That would be like a two billion dollar plan to to make changes to Soldier Field. But that's what she wants. And that's what she that was sort of her response to to the latest news was that we still think Soldier Field can work for the Bears. So we'll see.
Nader, um, what is obviously a big Bears fan, but that's not your top story. What is your top story this week that you are really following? It's going to be a shock coming from the education reporter that I'm going to talk about the governor's budget address that that featured a lot of education. And so that's my top story um, on Wednesday. Governor Pritzker uh, unveiled a, a big spending plan. Uh, it included $250 million in early childhood education, $506 million for K-12 through schools. There was more millions for higher education. And so he... That's been a big issue over the past however many years, many years. The state needs to put more money toward education. A, a few years back, state lawmakers changed the funding formula for, for mm. public schools. They called it, um, it, it's sort of this formula that takes student needs into account. So higher rates of poverty, higher rates of special education, English learners, whatever the students need. Um, needs are those sort of multiplied the amount of money that they uh, the districts needed to to serve them. And so that formula is great and all people, I mean, activists, the Chicago Teachers Union, everyone, everyone loved it. But the problem is they haven't funded it fully. And mm. so what you have now is Chicago Public Schools, for example, they've only been 67, 68, 70 percent adequately funded they don't have enough money to serve their students' needs, even according to the state. And so this gets them closer. It doesn't go all the way. And I, I haven't seen the latest percentage calculation. That, that hasn't come out yet um, for, for the evidence-based funding formula is what it's called. But the, the CTU, for example, uh, this budget was widely lauded and, and people loved that so much education funding uh, was going into this year's budget, but the CTU still said it's not enough. We need more. Mm. We're not serving Chicago students and our most vulnerable if we're not fully funding education. Nader, when we talk, this is something that, you know, Governor Pritzker has talked quite a bit about. Um, when we talk early education, specifically, what is does he mean? Does he mean universal preschool, which is, you know, free preschool? What does that mean specifically when he says early education in the budget? Yeah. So there, there's a lot of things. One is you want to give as many students a chance to have a shot at pre-K. And so it's adding seats. His, his proposal is going to add a, uh, thousands of, um, of seats in the state for, mm. for uh, preschool. It also means paying early childhood workers more. Mm. It's like any other educator job. There's a shortage of workers. And so if you put funding into paying them more, I, I think more people would come is the thought and, and higher quality of workers, more trained on what they're supposed to be doing. And Chicago obviously is the biggest, biggest city, biggest district in the state would be getting a really large chunk of that money. Just like with any budget, how is the governor and I suppose Republicans who are going to come against the budget, how does he say we're going to pay for all this new money for education, which actually, as you know, we noted, goes all the way up to college higher ed as well? Yeah. So despite despite forecasts of an incoming recession, Pritzker's touting the job he's done fiscally and, and turning around the state's uh, the state's finances, the state has paid off, uh, he says, $17 billion in overdue bills. They have mm -hmm. a bigger um, a bigger rainy day fund. And so he, he's sort of touting the fiscal progress as we're going to remain pragmatic. We're going to we're going to stay safe, but there's room to grow and, and spend 
Republicans, as you'd expect, are are saying this is too much spending. We're gonna we're gonna be in a hole. How are we spending more um, at a time when a recession's on the way? And so that's the it's it's about what you'd expect from the respective sides. Let's stay on education a little, um, a lot less positive education story. Back to you, Simone, but actually something that Nader reported with our friend and uh, former colleague, WBEZ reporter Sarah Carp. And Simone, you want you want to talk about this more because you want to, you know, give it more attention, this important story. Tell us about it. Yeah. Nader, I wanted to ask you about uh, the story that you wrote about after school shootings in Chicago. And uh, you and uh, Sarah found that last year, nine children, 17 and younger uh, or younger, were, were killed on a weekday in the hours between like two and four five-ish, like when kids would be walking home from school. And this was a really big departure from previous years, that this was a really, really high number. I know there was that shooting outside of Benito Juarez High School in Pilsen uh, that got a lot of attention. And I was curious what you heard from parents and and educators and, and other folks about sort of what was driving this this high number, what's driving this trend, why this is happening. Yeah, it was. Uh, thanks for bringing it up. There's two things I want to say on this. One, it's sad and devastating anytime kids are killed. We also don't want to scare people into thinking everyone's getting shot outside of school. It it has been nine kids in the past year in the after school hours. That is a lot. It's more than zero. It's also not every day at every school. And so it's just right. that context is important. So people aren't aren't fearful every day. Yeah, I, I think just talking to students, talking to educators, everyone has noticed it. And you you see um, AJ Davis, he's he's one of the students we spoke with. He his friend last year, last February, almost uh, exactly a year ago, they shook hands outside their school, um, Chicago Military Academy in Bronzeville. They each went their separate ways, going home. And AJ made it home. His friend didn't. He was shot on his way home. Yeah. And AJ was was sort of telling us how how are we supposed to be kids anymore? Like we we can't even walk to and from school without looking over our shoulder. And and he was just saying it. It was just sadness. Just for two months after the shooting, he lost his friend. He still wears a, a little pendant, a necklace uh, with his friend's picture. And it's it's about finding different ways to keep kids safe is is what we heard. Police aren't necessarily the answer. They're also, in some cases, maybe a, a help because even from students, we heard maybe cops sort of these so-called roving patrols, uh, cops walking around outside in the neighborhood. Um, mm. patrolling, just being on the lookout, maybe that can help. Like literally for patrolling on foot, though, right? Like you said, yeah. walking around, sort of being closer, not sitting in a car, sitting in a cop car, right? And that's that's what A.J. Davis said is uh, he, he's not opposed to the idea, but they have to get out of their mm. cars and actually talk to kids. Because yep. if he's in, if, if he or she or they, the, the cop are in their car, they're protected, but the kids aren't. Is what AJ yeah. said, and so I thought that was a really striking quote that you all had. Yeah, yeah. The story. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of different ideas. I think the biggest idea is is building relationships between students and adults. We saw the kid, the the Benito Juarez shooting that you mentioned, you mentioned Simone. 
the alleged shooter was charged um, over the weekend, appeared in bond court. It's a 16 year old kid and kids shooting kids, kids shooting kids. He was he was a Benito Juarez student himself. He was recently expelled. What are what are the ways to make sure that, you know, he that kid doesn't feel like he, he has no support? And so building relationships, having trusted adults in the building, I think that's what people want. Students, educators, principals, even the district. Kids can talk to adults before something happens and after something happens and and try to prevent this and respond to it. Nader, are there, were you all able to report either from CPS, CPD, talking to these young people? Are there any particular reasons we can attribute to the, I should be clear, like you said in context, maybe not say uptick, but, you know, the increase of more of these shootings after school. Do we have any sort of reasons that this has gone up? It, it, we we spoke to district officials and they are just tying it to Chicago violence and mm-hmm. gun violence around mm-hmm. the country. If it's going to affect, you know, somewhere a half mile away, why wouldn't it affect the street outside of a school? Right. Uh, Charles Anderson, he's the principal at Michelle Clark High School on the west side in Austin. He also just said it, it's sort of a generational thing where back in his day, people would have shied away from committing acts of violence near a school, near a church. It was sort of seen as off limits. You don't go there. Yeah. Yeah. As as groups sort of fracture and faction off, there's less of a uh, sort of adult presence, a leadership role saying, hey, stay away from here, stay away from here. And that's that's what he thinks it is. It's, it's I'm sure, a, a mixture of a lot of different factors. I just thought a lot about when I was reading your story about safe passage workers. So, you know, I'm sure you all have them in your neighborhoods. I mean, we have them all around our neighborhoods um, here in in Ukrainian Village in Humboldt Park on the corners. We see that we talk to them. We see the same ones every day. This was a big thing, right, after school closures um, about a decade ago. Are city officials, anybody saying, like, look, maybe this the safe passage workers are not working in preventing some of this violence? I'm not saying they aren't. I'm just saying, is there any connection there? Yeah, that's a question we asked Jadine Chow. She's the head of safety and security at CPS. And she said safe package passage workers still have a role. They're not, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if, if there's a shooting happening, they're not going to go run and tackle a shooter. They're, they're unarmed. They're not trained for that. That's not their duty. But importantly, when it comes to conflict and conflict resolution, they can sort of spot issues as they're arising mm. and before they turn into something bigger. So she said a lot of times the safe passage worker will see, you know, a group of kids walking down the street and they're arguing or they're fighting or whatever it is. There's some type of conflict. They can try to step in and resolve it. They can alert someone at the school and a trusted adult at the school can talk to the kids the next day. Just ways of stemming conflicts from rising to the level where there's going to be violence. And that's where safe passage workers are helpful. Again, that was Nader's uh, Nader's story about uh, shootings and violence outside schools. Really important story. Thanks for your reporting on that and for explaining it, uh, Nader. Now, let's move, stay with you, rather. We're going to move off education. We've been there for a bit, shockingly, with an education reporter as our guest today. What's to a story you want to shed some more light on, your your quote-unquote underhyped story that you want to talk a little bit more about? I'm really interested in this. I'm, I didn't see the story, so tell us more. 
Yeah. So our friend, our friend Esther at WBEZ mm-hmm. uh, on the race, class, and communities. Yes, Esther Yunjin Kang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She had a story about the study on Arab Americans and how they're classified as white in the in the census. And mm. I will say, as an Arab American myself, every time I fill out the census, I spend five to ten minutes um, deciding how I can possibly click white because there is mm. no other option for us. I'm also, I know our, our, uh, your listeners can't see me, but I'm not white. I don't consider myself to be white. When I walk into a room of white people, I don't think, I don't think they see me as white. I also didn't feel white after 9-11. I didn't feel white Mm. growing up any time in my life. But Esther's story points out in the study, it's a study, uh, done out of UIC. There's also, there's also at, at the federal government level, there's consideration being taken to this of adding an Arab American and Middle East, uh, sorry, Middle Eastern and North African category to mm. the census. Um, and what it does by classifying us as white is erase a lot of social injustice, a lot of experiences that we might have that are different than white Americans. And so one of them might be a lack of resources, lack of uh, home ownership, lack of income that differ from the rest of the white population. And I mean, we use the census for maps, for po- political maps, district maps, ward maps, you know, like that's that's critical as well. Right. The other piece in the story that I didn't even think about was um, people who were talking about COVID-19 resources and getting access to the vaccine and getting mm. uh, getting different funding and how right it was sort of zip codes or, or populations that were considered that were like high impact, like they really needed it. Arab Americans were kind of erased out of that because they were in classified as white. They were in this white category. And Nader, you the obviously erase. It's called Beyond Erasure and Profiling, the the study that you're talking about that behind this report. So the it's saying, yes, they recommend the Census Bureau stop categorizing this group. But is this is this the first time that that's been recommended, I guess I feel like, I mean, is this, do we have any sense or hope that this could change in the next, when before the next census is done? No, it's far from the first time that, that this has been talked about or advocated for. I do think mm-hmm. there's been more momentum over the past few years. Yeah. And yeah. it was talked about a lot this past um, census term, whatever we want to call it. And the the couple years since, this has been a big issue that people have been talking about, advocates have been pushing for, I feel like more than in the past. And so with more discussion about it, more attention to it, maybe things do change this time. Who knows? Now we will move to everyone's favorite part of the show. And we will talk about some good news to get you through. I'm not going to sing it because I just feel like I I, I, can't I know sing it today. I'm like with you, Kobe man. Does. I don't have it. I don't have it in me today. I don't. Not that I'm not having a great time with both of you, but I I don't. My my pipes aren't there today. Nader, you're our guest. Let's hear what your good news is to get the people through the weekend. Well. It's good news, but I don't know that it's going to necessarily be something people think about <laughs> and get them through the weekend. <laughs> it I'll will say get that. me through the don't weekend, Don't be Nader. so sure, Nader. Don't be so sure. <laughs> so anyone who cares about elections or civic duty, I'll say that. 
this might get them through the week. Our listeners yeah. do. Our listeners do. Uh, yeah. My good story of the week is uh, mail-in ballots. They're they're really driving early voting for municipal elections started this week, and by all indications, early voting is going to potentially drive turnout past forty percent in the city. Nice, which nice. still sounds bad. But it's what it, is good for us. What is good for us. So that's <laughs> yeah. And so I think I think that's really encouraging to see. It's it's obviously any election we can say is a pivotal election. I think that's a great one, Nader. And honestly, when we say important for big for us, we don't mean the three of us, but we do kind of because obviously we this is what we do for a living. This is what we do every day. But we probably also do it in our everyday lives. We sort of sing the praises of civic engagement and that your vote actually matters and that you should really be engaged with this. Um, but it's good for our city, which, as you know, notoriously has kind of low voter turnout. I think that's a great one. It is election season. We're a little more than a week out from the February 28th election day, which is a good segue because Simone has an I think, Simone, you have an election related good news as well. <laughs> My good news is also election related and has wow, to do. We are a dorky bunch, but OK. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, this is what you get two weeks out. This is this is how it's gonna be. I I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> it's good. We're owning it. We're owning our our civic pride. Yeah. Uh, Carrie, you mentioned earlier that uh, we were at out on the near west side uh, at the tribes ballot party. And I just really wanted to shout out all the people who came, all the voters who came to that ballot party. We got to talk to voters. Um and People are really engaged in this election. People really want to know what's going on. What are the candidates yeah, saying? Yeah. And they're excited to cast their vote. It always brings me such joy to talk to voters and really, really hear like what Chicagoans actually care about, you know, directly from from their mouths and to hear that, you know, they're taking that information and they're trying to, you know, be the change they want to see. You know what I mean? Like they they're they're really out here doing it. Totally. Um, totally. You're going to hear from those folks on Tuesday. We've got an episode coming out out of that. Obviously, I love seeing people participate. It makes me really happy. I love it. I do, too. It always invigorates me. Um, those are both great. Those are fantastic. And I'm going to um, I'm going to cheat a little on my good news and just say the good news is Jacoby will be back next week. He will be back on Wednesday in the host chair. You will hear him. Uh, on CityCast Chicago. And actually, that's a good reminder that you won't hear any of us on Monday and you won't read Hey Chicago, our newsletter on Monday either because we are off for the holiday. So back in your feeds on Tuesday, back in your inbox on Tuesday, Jacoby Wednesday. So I gave you a lot of days. Mark your calendar. <laughs> you will hear from Jacoby, whom we all miss, and we are excited he's coming back. So that's my good news to get you and everybody through the weekend. Nader Issa is education reporter at Chicago Sun-Times and our friend. Nader, thank you as always for coming to join us and shed your knowledge and light with us. Thanks for having me. It's always a fun time. Good. And Simone Alisea, producer here at City Cash Chicago. Simone, thank you so much. Thanks, Carrie. That's it for us this week. And again, a reminder, we're back in your feed on Tuesday. But use the weekend and Monday to catch up on some past great city cast episodes. This week alone, we followed Benny the Bull at a Bulls game. We heard about your best and worst dates for Valentine's Day. And we toured the East Side neighborhood. A big thank you to all the people who make CityCast Chicago happen. 
That's your host, Jacoby Cochran, producer Simone Alisea. Our newsletter editor at Hey Chicago is Sydney Madden. Producer Natalie Rivera and marketing coordinator Jermaine Thomas also help make it all happen. Our music is by Sam Thousand, All the Kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. Again, if you enjoy the show, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review. It all helps get CityCast Chicago out there to more listeners. And don't forget to subscribe to Hey Chicago, our newsletter. That's at chicago.citycast.fm. We'll be back on Tuesday. Talk to you then. Bye. Okay. Awesome, Nader. Go to your meeting. Thank you.